0: You're listening to the Local Open Mic Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Heath. Thanks for joining us. Today, we talk with Teddy Brunetti. She's in the midst of a career resurgence, hitting number two on the world indie charts with her recent project release, Queen of Pittsburgh. Some of you may know her from her successful 80s band where she played drums for the B Girls, produced by Debbie Harry of Blondie. Her break from the music business came when she decided that raising her family was more important than the lights of the stage. But a few years ago, Teddy started to gig again, resuming writing music, and it didn't go unnoticed either. Her Janis Joplin meets Steely Dan description of her musical style is apparent in all her songs. Come join us as she shares stories behind the music and some great tales from her 70s and 80s bands. And we have with us today, Teddy Brunetti. How are you doing, Teddy?
1: Hey, I'm great, Tim. How are you doing tonight?
0: Uh, I'm doing real good. I love that <laughs> accent, by the way. It's a, it's definitely an East Coast. It's not really a Pittsburgh accent, though, is it?
1: My accent's screwed up a bit. I mean, I went to college in Kentucky, and when I was wow. down there, as a kid, right, and when I was down there, they thought I was from New York City, and when I lived in New York City for twenty years, they thought I was from somewhere you know, else, Alabama or yeah. something. So, I mean, they thought I had a southern accent. So, Pittsburgh's like that, though. We're middle, the middle, the middle of the country. You know, it? So, what's
0: been going on in the last year for you? I know you've had a, a release of a project called
1: Queen of Pittsburgh. That's correct. It's been, a, it was a wild year, you know, very busy and exciting, really. You know, when you release an album, it's always a, a big deal. And um, so we released the album and uh, first we released a single and a video and I got into, um, now I'm into video production and that was a new thing for me. You know, um, I'm comfortable in a recording studio, I've been doing it all my life, but um, the video thing was a whole new aspect of this music business stuff and I love I love it and I have these young guys from um, they're from around Princeton New Jersey uh, BMHAC uh, productions they uh, they're like 25 years old these guys they graduated Rutgers University film school so they're bona fide little filmmakers and uh, they're very talented and very creative and we just hit we just hit it off and and um, they like my music and my songs kind of tell stories. So they lend themselves to video and, um, we've just had a ball making, uh, a couple of videos that we've made. We have, um, uh, another one. We're doing the pre-production talks about right now that we're going to start next year, the queen of Pittsburgh video for that song, actually. There we go. So the title song. And, um, so yeah, you know, it's it's been a hoop, you know, and then, um, doing these interviews and um, getting your stuff out there online. The music business has changed so much <laughs> since the 70s and 80s when I started. So uh, just learning about the new music business. And you know, I mean, uh, Dan Malsh from Soundline Recording where he ma- he mastered my album and he puts out lots of records. He, uh, he, sa- he told me, he said, hey Teddy, you're asking the same questions that the 20 year olds ask. So you're right on point, you know, don't worry about it. You're, uh, you're right in there. Everybody has this, the technology is changing things so rapidly this, that, uh, you know, everybody has the same questions and you don't know until you jump in and, and try it. And uh, it wasn't, it wasn't our in, intention when uh, my husband and I decided to do this album to um, get involved in the music business on any kind of level, really. We we were making the album uh, so our grandchildren <laughs> would uh, know Grandma and Grandpa were cool once. You know, <laughs> I, I had started writing again. We, we put a little blues band together, a blues cover band about five years ago, and uh, just to see if we wanted to go out and gig, you know, and do it again. And that got old quick you know, because I always did original material. I've been writing songs since I was 11 years old, so I've been writing songs for 58 years. So, I, you know, that was never my dream. I want to grow up and play everybody else's songs. My my dream was I want to play my music. So I started writing again, and I started writing for that blues band. That's why that's what helped focus this album, Queen of Pittsburgh, in that blues uh, genre. Even though it's not classic blues per se it's a mixed genre you know jazz blues rock kind of a thing yeah Yeah. well
0: I think I read on uh, see uh, I came across your profile online on a service called Podmatch and one of the descriptions in there was uh, I think very accurate where you describe yourself as uh, Janis Joplin meets Steely Dan and I remember when you know we worked out the interview, and I heard the first two songs that you sent, I said, man, that is spot on. Uh-huh. Uh, that's very good. It's, it's definitely Janis Joplin meets Donald Fagan and, and Steely Dan and the whole thing. I mean,
1: well, that's a compliment, right? It is.
0: It is. Because <laughs> uh, in all the people I've been interviewing for low these two years, nobody, has come up with a sound that is even close to where I could characterize it is Steely Dan, but you have done it. And we will listen to one of those songs today, maybe a couple of Great. them. So uh, they're, they're very good. And so, so this year's been mostly consumed with what, videos and writing and putting out your Queen of Pittsburgh project?
1: Yeah, launching it and getting it out there and following up on it and releasing uh, the two singles that have been released so far. Just getting a, you know, I have a tech guy now. I am building my team. Building my team. You got because, a tech uh, guy? That's great. I know, <laughs> I know. Forget about it. I got, I have forget like a press, a, you know, a marketing press agent guy. I got a uh, video production team and audio production. You got team, people. Uh, I got my people.
0: You I got, got my people. Team. I'll get my people on it. Just give me a call and uh, drop me an email. Yeah. Contact I mean, my know, agent.
1: I need those people. And they're all very talented. And, I, and, I, and you know what? They're all like family. And everybody who has gotten involved in this project so far, thank the Lord above. I don't know why. I don't really take the credit for it. But for some reason, I have been blessed that they all have um, jumped in 100% and given me their art. They're all artists in their own right. They've supported me and supported this project and they got it, what I was doing. Because like you said, what I'm doing, it's not, it's not what's happening today, really. You know, with pop music. As a matter of fact, the, the song Eat, Sleep, Repeat, it was mixed by Tommy Uzo. And he passed away um, during the pandemic, not from, at the beginning of the pandemic uh, in April, but he, um, not, not from COVID. But uh, from cancer, and he's like a who's who guy, mixing engineer in New York City, and he was a friend of Dino Sargent, my uh, producer. Dino, uh, they grew up together in Long Island, and uh, got into re- recording engineering together. So uh, anyway, he uh, he's 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 done all the rappers. He he that's what he did for a living. He's he mixed for major labels. I mean, I couldn't afford him really, you know. I mean, I paid him, but not his going rate. I mean, he got he gets like <laughs> twenty, thirty grand to mix an album, you know. And uh, he's 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 mixed uh, Mary J. Blige and uh, uh, Celine Dion and people like that. I mean, you know, he's yeah. big time guy. And he passed away. And my my project was the last thing he worked on. And wow. you know, you couldn't and you really couldn't get a guy like that to work on an independent project like mine unless he dug it. He, he liked my voice and that gave me, and he was a consultant, good friends with Dino. Uh, he was a consultant on this album. You know, I'm an old lady really by today's, you know, by the, by, music, by showbiz standards. And so to be starting up a music career again at, at 69 years old, you know, a little bit different. He gave me a lot of confidence to move forward. And that's why we decided to put it out because he's he was he and uh, Dan Mosh, they um they thought they thought it turned out too good the, it just turned out too good the album they said this needs to be out there people need to hear it so yeah here I am
0: well hey I noticed after trolling your Facebook page that uh, just the other day you posted that you are number eighty two on the world indie music charts congratulations oh. on that
2: oh thanks yeah.
0: How do you get on an indie music chart? In fact, I saw that and I went, I want to get on a chart like that. <laughs> How does one make it on a chart you'll, like that?
1: You'll have to, you'll have to ask my uh, marketing manager. Your my, people. Uh, Stover, my, one of my people. <laughs> <Yeah>. MTS Marketing.
0: <laughs> uh, there you go. But
1: uh, he, puts, he puts me out there, you know, and, and things happen. I mean, our videos have been in many, um, a lot of these film festival people have these award things, and they have a music video category. And it, I mean, just, and it's international. I mean, we've uh, been a finalist in Rome and we won in Switzerland, in Sweden rather, in Sweden. Uh, Evil Woman, that first video, won uh, uh, an award in Sweden. So
0: uh, i tell you what, why don't you tell us about the story behind Evil Woman and we'll play it for the fans. Oh
1: well, that's a it's a funny song. It's it's start there's a couple of things that were involved in writing it. I was in like I told you, we had this uh, blues band and I wasn't the singer. We had a we had a male front singer because I didn't know if I could sing again. I hadn't sang for like twenty, thirty years. So we had this this guy up front and I, and singing like forty covers a night just wasn't my thing anyhow. But um Anyway, he had a girlfriend. She wanted to get serious, I guess, and he didn't. She (laughs) she started a whole, I mean, these are grown adults, I gotta tell you. And uh, she started a whole uh, Facebook extravaganza. She was gonna come to the gigs, and oh my God, it was like, you know, I thought people were gonna be throwing tomatoes at us or something. She started this war with him. That's where the evil woman, I write from Titles, like uh, the Tin Pan Alley songwriters, that's how I learned to write. I, I studied songwriting at the Songwriters Guild in New York and at ASCAP in New York. And and back in the day, that's they taught us classic songwriting technique. They don't write like that so much anymore, I don't think. But um, so I write from titles like and so Evil Woman. That's where the Evil Woman came from. And then I get my hair done. <laughs> <laughs> if you saw the video, it's in a hair salon. It's swank. And good old Melissa Altenberg, um, what a hair studio it is. It's like the the, the hippest hair place in Pittsburgh, really. And, and um, they're all young, 20, 30-something ladies are working there, and they're all hotties, all right? And they all have their stories going on. And um, I, I like going in there and listening to these young women talk about, you know, who's cheating on who, and they're married, they have kids, he's he has a girlfriend, she has a boyfriend who's in jail, who isn't, you know, that's <laughs> who's in story. jail. That's a rough you know, crowd. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Hey, <laughs> but, um, you know, so it's like, you know, and I heard all their stories. And so that's where, you know, you don't have to be on Facebook. Everybody knows. All right. So, so that, that whole, when I, when I write lyrics, I get a, I get a title, and I kind of get an idea, and I might have a few lines here or there. If I think of something clever, a couple clever lines, I write them down, and I have a, I have a bin that I just have all these scraps of paper with song notes in there, you know. And I'll, I, before I sit down to really seriously write, I'll go through them and look and see if anything pertains. And every once in a while, one of them I'll pull out. Sure. And, you know, I let the idea of the song... And the mood I want to create and the thing I want to talk about kind of wash over me. And it's that kind of a process for me because I have have this uh, way of thinking about it that the, the words are all there. I don't have to create any words. All the words exist. I just have to wait for the right ones to come to me when the time is right for them. And so far, it it's worked for me that way. I just turn my myself over to the idea of the song, let it wash over me.
0: An evil woman showed up after that. And an evil,
1: <laughs> an evil woman showed up. And the, and the video is shot in that hair salon, and the party scene is shot in our. I gotta say, I live like a rock star, and our, my husband is a a prince. He's taken wonderful care of me and uh, we have a loft here in pittsburgh uh, downtown that overlooks the city it shot my place wow. <laughs> well we had to shoot it it was covid right so um we shot it when when the restrictions started to ease up a little bit a while well, this was a while back now we had to shoot somewhere where you you didn't have to wear masks <laughs> so we did it in our place it wasn't it wasn't wasn't really, the first place we were going to shoot, but I said, let's do it here because we won't have to wear masks. Yeah. Okay,
0: so let's get to Evil Woman, and uh, here we go. some down and dirty blues rock going on there <laughs> that was fun yeah. i mean you didn't you didn't let the the sound of this thing get soiled by uh keyboards or organ that was just all guitar work drums work drum work and uh vocals good stuff and there's definitely a janice joplin feel to that and felt a little bit of a steely dan vibe uh the next song we do will definitely have You know, if our fans are wondering, when are you going to get to the Staley Dan part? (laughs) That's coming up, folks. So uh, very good. Very good. I found myself enjoying it. The third time, this is my third time listening to it. Third time through, Uh I'm going, man, I'm just, I'm really feeling that. You know, I'm a musician too, a long time, right? So I'm I'm looking at this going, could I have played this stuff? You know, (laughs) I think that's the uh, real good test of a of a band of a performer, if they hear music like yours, and they wonder, could I do this? Yeah, I think I. That's a that's a good sign, by the way, because yeah, you know, yeah. the best form of flattery is that people start doing it in the clubs and covering your music, and uh, you know, will do it. <laughs> yeah, it helps brand, you know. Yeah,
1: I have I have no problem with it. Yeah, it's funny the Janis Joplin thing because when I was younger, my first album in my twenties and thirties, I had a more pristine, clean sound. I have I have a wide range. I can belt. Over the years, I got all of a sudden I got this gravel tone. And it's funny because when you're a rock singer like I am, you're 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 trying to create that cool gravel sound, you know? It always sounds phony <laughs> when young people do it. Right. Yeah. Not too many people really have that as their voice. But I started singing this time and it's just natural. It just <laughs> my you know, it, it just surprised me. I didn't know if I thought, oh no, you know, because I'm used to this more of a pristine tone, you know. Dino, I gotta give his uh uh production partner Mike Hennigan, who's also the bass player, and he did a lot of the recording engineering on this album too, Mike Hennigan. And uh, my husband, Jim, and I, were the four people who really did most of the tracks on this album. We have a few guest people come in here and there. Even my son played on it. And uh, I was lucky enough to get a couple of my sisters. I'm the oldest of 10 kids. I have six younger sisters and three younger okay. brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a couple of them. So it's, it's, it was a fun album to do because of that. But uh, all of a sudden, I had this gravel in my voice. It's so natural. They, they convinced me to just let it fly, let it happen. It sounds, you know, they said it sounds great. Let's notch back to prior to the last
0: year. What have you been doing in the last, say, five years leading up to now?
1: Well, like I said, we had that little blues cover band. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, And so we were gigging around Pittsburgh with that for a while. I travel a lot. We're sports fans. We support all the sports teams here in Pittsburgh, the Steelers, the Pens, and the Pirates. And we go to away games. We travel with the team every once in a while. We take little trips and oh. music trips, too. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And I like to cook. I'm a good cook and a, and a good home cook, you know. And uh, uh, different cooking methods. I started smoking meat. You know, I got a little electric smoker that I started experimenting with. Fun. and I've done pretty much fun with that. And so we went on a barbecue kind of trip where we went to Nashville and spent a few days there and then went down to Memphis and we ate barbecue for like two or three weeks. <laughs> I went to Nashville, Memphis, music and barbecue, you know.
0: What was the name of your band, by the way?
1: Something's Cooking. <laughs>
0: Something's Cooking. Okay. There. And so
1: the song that that's on the album, Something's Cooking, I wrote that. That was our theme song. Oh, okay. I wrote, the, I wrote that for that band. That was one of the Songs I had in my pocket when we decided to do an album. Right,
0: know. right. Let's see. Evil Woman is also can be found on your project, uh, Queen of Pittsburgh.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Yeah.
0: So I tell you what, why don't you tell us about Eat, Sleep, and Repeat?
1: That's a title that I had lingering around. Dino and Mike came to Pittsburgh for some pre production talks, you know, about doing the album and we were talking about how we were gonna do it, where we, where we wanted to record, things like that, and what his approach was gonna be. And Dino's a great songwriter. We wrote this, we wrote, um, I wrote Evil Woman myself, but he, um, we co-wrote Eat, Sleep, Repeat. And uh, it was my title, but he came up with the, he always does this to me. Uh, he did it several times on, on this album. You know, he'll say, I have an idea for a song. He said, your husband said this to me. And I wrote it down. He said, it's the first line of the song, uh, whether uh, from this weathertight six floor window, we live on the sixth floor. I hear voices from people below. Can't uh, quite make out what they're saying. Not sure that I want to know. All right. He said, he said, I think that's so great. Now, if you want to use it, use it if you want to do something with it do something with it not okay it's fine you know but whenever he says that to me and he comes up with one of these phrases or lines or something I end up writing the song so, <laughs> so
0: let me interject I saw the video for that and one of the uh, things that stood out was the part where you come to the window you're looking down at a couple people yeah, talking
1: that's my it, yeah. yeah they used a drone we used a drone for that
0: oh yeah well you almost have which to. Was, right? which was which
1: was you know, I'm getting to do all this cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, drone shots drone?
0: are ubiquitous now. You've got to have, in every video, yeah, yeah. you've got to have a drone shot of something hovering or or, or something you could never yeah, possibly yeah,
1: just standing, get. standing there and having that drone out the window. You <laughs> it was crazy. Oh, yeah, exactly,
0: funny. exactly. So uh, what else about Eat, Sleep, Repeat uh, sticks out to you when you're writing it?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to... Um, just an observation, how sure. people, you know, and it's what, and it's what I see here where I, where I live in the city, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by a lot of uh, young professionals, a lot of, we have Google here, we have Uber tested their, their next door, they test their uh, driverless cars here, things like that, you know, so we have a lot of young tech people here, they go through that daily grind, you know, even my own kids, they go through that daily grind, then at night they want to go out and get a bite to eat, have a couple of drinks or whatever, and you know, and then they get up and do it all over again. You know, that's so right. that's 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 kind of what this song's about. Okay. You know?
0: Wonderful. Well, why don't we get to that? This is also on Queen of Pittsburgh. Yes, it is. It is. Okay, so this is Eat, Sleep, Repeat.
2: From this weather tight six floor window, I hear voices from people below quite make out what they're saying not sure that i want to know hit the pavement sunglasses and ball cap stepping over and on sidewalk cracks cafe ray t-shirt car the usual mob sweeping enterprise keeping on track it's the pulse of the city
0: Good song. And boy, I tell you Thanks. what, both lyrically and, and sonically, the music really has, uh, captures a Steely Dan vibe to it. It does. Well done. Good song, especially knowing where it was recorded and uh, the backstory to it makes mm-hmm. it kind of fleshes it out. You know, sometimes you need context for a song.
1: Well, people said to me, it sounds like Steely Dan, a Steely Dan kind of tune. And I thought, well, that's a compliment. Yeah, it is. But I listen to everything, okay?
0: So was that recorded in Pittsburgh or New York City?
1: That was recorded. We did all the basic tracks and all the drum tracks in Reading, PA, of all places, uh, at Spiro's Modern Music. Uh, it's a world-class recording facility, all right? Dino helped design and build it. And uh, you wouldn't believe it. it, took them two years to build this place. They don't build studios like this anymore. People record in their underwear in their bedroom now, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, but we went into a real studio studio. <laughs> so yeah, this studio has 40 foot ceilings, no 90 degree angles in it. It's gorgeous too. But I mean, it's something else. And when you go in there and you just start talking, ugh, you stop because you realize there's something very special about the acoustics okay yeah it's a heck of a studio beautiful really exciting to what's the name there. of the studio Spiro's Modern Music it's in Reading Pennsylvania yep. Reading has uh, one of the top 5 jazz festivals in the country in the United States nice uh, who would know you know yeah. no, i didn't know that but when the big jazz guys come, come to town for the festival, a lot of them record there. As a matter of fact, when we went up, we took a trip up to Reading just to check the studio out before we were going to record there, just set everything up. And I just wanted to take a look. You know, Dino wanted me to take a look at it to see if it was going to be OK. And it, was, it was gorgeous. I mean, it was more than OK. Uh, but um, Spiro was mixing Victor Wooten. Do you know him, bass player? I know the name. I don't
0: know his particular work.
1: Well, YouTube him up if you want to have your mind. (laughs) If you want to hear virtuosity, let me just put it that way. There's nobody like him. All right. So he was mixing a Victor Wooten thing in there. When I went in to check out the studio, I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is great. You know? Oh, good. Because you know, uh, of the, quali- the quality of the sound. You know.
0: Let's get back to talking about the 70s and 80s for you. Because when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that that was kind of your original heyday, if you will. That was your era right. at the time. So tell us, what was going on in the 70s for you?
1: Went to New York City and uh, tried to make it in the big time. And um, it was quite a time to be in New York. Uh, there was a real starving artist community and a lot of clubs. This is before MTV. It was before cable TV. As a matter of fact, uh, Manhattan Cable was the first real cable channel, the only cable channel. And um, I did a lot of video stuff back then with uh, my band back then um, on Manhattan Cable. And we played all the clubs and you know, when you're in a big city like that, you do more than one project, usually. So I had my own band, and I and I played in a a band called um, the the B Girls. But before that, I before that, after that, around the same time, I, they might might even have been doing it at the same time. was' <laughs> a long time ago, but I played with Carol McDonald in which Carol McDonald uh, had a band called Isis, Isis the female goddess. Uh, she was on the Midnight Special. She was an Atlantic Records recording artist. So I played with her and her band. And it was a 10-piece horn band. And it was all women. It was, uh, they used to call me the straight dyke. It was always, it was always lesbians. <laughs> and uh, when she called me, she told me it's a women's band. And I thought, oh, okay. I thought, oh, we grew up. We're not a girls' band anymore. Now we're women, you know. <laughs> I didn't, But th- they spelled women, W-O myn you know ah, women okay it was like a political thing uh gay political thing uh, I, one of the best bands i was ever in i mean these women could all play yeah they were all sure. players and we played big festivals it was the first band i was in where we flew to gigs you know because we play in georgia and michigan and upstate new york and santa barbara and you know so i did a lot of gigs with her like that it was a, it was a hell of a band it was Great time, and she was a. She's passed away, unfortunately. She was a great band leader. And that was a great experience. The B Girls, they were mentored by Deborah Harry and Blondie from Blondie. She produced an EP for them, and I was their second drummer. When I came in the band, they were hooked up with the Clash, and were touring with the Clash. And Mick Jones from the Clash. Um, produced an EP for us, and I was writing songs with the band at the time, so one of my songs got recorded. Uh, we played all the clubs and toured, and that, that, was a, that was a heck of a band. Cynthia from the B-Girl, she's still going. She's uh, got a band in New York City now called New York Junk and Xenia. Uh, now she's called Ananda Z- Xenia. She's in India. She's kind of a guru type thing. She does Indian type music now. And uh, we all, you know, the Facebook is really great, you know, so we're all all connected again. And, and then uh, one of the B girls, Renee, the guitar player, she passed away last year from cancer. So that was a sad thing for us. You know, I'm able to connect with these people now, and it's it's really been fun.
0: So it sounds like the Debbie Harry era was that in the 80s, or the it had to be the late 70s if she was was doing that at the the time.
1: The b Girls were something else. They're from Toronto, by the way. They, They had that's when all the styles. What I was getting back to originally was I mentioned there was no cable TV, there was no MTV, there was not. You know that that changed the culture in, in this country, in the world really, when um, MTV came on and cable TV, because it homogenized everyone. Before then, all the styles and the art and the, and the new stuff all originated in the East Village in New York City. That's where everything came out of. That's where we were, and they were ahead of their time. They were Madonna and Cyndi Lauper and all those wild women kind of rock image things Six seven years before you ever heard of them, uh, Madonna or, or uh, Cindy Lauper. You know, I have to give them credit for that. I kind of followed in on their coattails on that. You know, uh, trying to fit in with them. You know, but they were <laughs> very they were very wild, and uh, that band was. It was. It was. Uh, a real experience. Well, I'm yeah. sure
0: you fit in great with your drumming capabilities. I just can't imagine that not working
1: out. Yeah, yeah. I, I was the real musician. I was the schooled musician in that <laughs> band. These, the way they started that band, it's it's a funny story. You know, usually you learn to play an instrument and then you go and you get in a band. But they all had boyfriends who were in bands, and they're in the they're in the club one night in the ladies' room, and they're saying, "These guys are idiots. You know, if they can do it, we can do it." And well, and well, I always wanted to play guitar. Okay, you be the guitar player. Well, I think I can play the drums. Okay, you be the drummer. Oh, I want to play bass. You be the bass player. So they went out and got instruments and taught themselves how to play the instruments a little bit. Good enough, all right? And then um, put this. Ba- they had this band, you know? You know, like that's punk, really. You know? Sure, yeah. But, but, yeah, the music we played with the B-Girls was more, our songs were more, Rolling Stones, rock and roll. Okay. But uh, not so much punk. We got put in that genre for some reason. Uh, they quite always classified us in the punk thing, I guess because it was East Village and their image was wild. The way they looked, it wasn't this clean cut thing. It was this, you know, I mean, Xenia had platinum blonde hair teased out. She had cowboy boots with striped knee socks with a poodle skirt, and I mean, you know, it it was just wild. So uh, (laughs) it was was quite a time back then. And everybody, you know, New York, like I said, there was a starving artist community. We lived in, my husband and I lived in the building called the Music Building. It's gone now, but for many, many years it was there. And we were some of the original tenants there. It was an old building from the furrier's days, okay? So it was fur studios. Our, our bedroom, the closet, was a walk-in safe where they used to have the furs, you know? But sure. we could play music in there 24-7. So you can imagine, it was like music in a drugstore, you know? I mean, John <laughs> Lennon's band, uh, Elephant's Memory, lived on our floor, up in the front of our floor. Later on, a couple years later, Tyrone Downey, who was uh, one of the keyboard players for Bob Marley, moved in next door to us. Well, it was a great experience.
0: Oh, yeah. So I tell you what, tell us about Queen of Pittsburgh and writing it and what that's all about, the backstory to the namesake for your project.
1: First off, this was Dino's title. Okay, Uh, we wrote this together and this was his idea. We came to Pittsburgh, like I told you. And and like I said, we have this fabulous loft and you can see the city and we love our city. We love Pittsburgh. And when we took Dino and Mike around and showed them the town and they're on their way back to the Poconos and I get a call and he said, I have an idea for a song. And This is one of his ideas again. Queen of Pittsburgh. I thought, oh, no, I'm thinking, oh, man, no. You know, it just I thought. What could heads. go wrong, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: right. So I'm the, if you know the song, then, you know, I'm not saying I'm the queen of Pittsburgh. It's like I'm not going to stop kicking ass until they make me the queen of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh that's right the, that's that's the song you know and I thought oh my god he's like oh come on it's the queen of Pittsburgh it's not the queen of England it's tongue-in-cheek he came up with a, a couple with a first verse I think in the first chorus and uh, I wrote the rest of it yeah it was weird, you know that it's about Pittsburgh it's about how I love my city the, some okay. of the things it's gone through it's gone through and I've seen it you know I was when I was a little kid there were uh, steel mills And now I live where you used to probably be able to see the steel mill right across the way here. Sure, Nobody Nobody lived on the rivers until recently here because (laughs) of the steel mills, you know. And uh,
0: they weren't clean enough until, you know, even the last 30 years maybe, so.
1: Correct, correct. Correct. So anyway, let's get to it. Uh, Can I say one thing? Yes, you can. When you hear this guitar solo, it's special to me. Because it's a father son guitar solo. My husband, who is like the lyrical, uh, iconic guitar line guy, he he's, begins the solo, and all the wild, crazy, wah wah out there st- guitar that you hear is our son. He kind of, our son James, James Mason, he takes it
0: out oh well it's so, it's all very good he so played,
1: he played his yeah he played his butt off on good. it I, I,
0: yeah. I, i'm glad you uh, added that that'll uh we'll be able to look for that and this is called queen of pittsburgh Fun song. Queen of Pittsburgh. I can see. Yeah. Not going to stop till they make me the Queen of Pittsburgh. Good attitude. Uh, so this song, I mean, you mentioned your uh, your husband, your son were in it. Uh, did you have any other family members uh, singing or playing on it?
1: Not on that song, but I have two of my sisters, my sister Mary Park and Anita Phillips. They're, they're both singing background vocals on uh because so, there's no background vocals on Queen of Pittsburgh, they're on uh, Eat, Sleep, Repeat. Yeah, something's broken. Um, Same old blues. Real family
0: yeah. affair there.
1: So right, right. on Queen of Pittsburgh,
0: were those real horns in there, or sampled oh, or yeah. something? Oh, okay, they're
1: real, they're real horns.
0: Yeah, a lot of people yeah. don't take the time to you know get a horn section going. They just gin it up on a computer. Right.
1: Trumpets and trombone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, mm-hmm. it's real good. And again, another example of what people are probably saying is a Steely Dan type of a sound. You know, it 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 has that vibe. So let's switch it up just a little here. Tell us about what got you interested in music. You know, some of your family roots. You say you came from a large family and stuff. Back in the day, we would have said a good Catholic family. That's um, what it is. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and back That's in the day, it. that was accurate. Uh sure tell us about you know your your beginnings in music and family and all
1: well I come from a very artistic family also my parents are actors that's how they met in high school in a play and uh, they went to New York and tried to make it as actors for a couple of years and I guess that's why I had that romantic fantasy about going to New York. I got that from my parents. You know, and then a lot of things happened, like World War II for one. So my dad's a, a veteran, and uh, he's still alive, he's 93. My mom passed away a few years ago, but I have those longevity genes. He, he was a, he came back um, with the GI. They decided to have a family, and they knew after living in New York that they felt that wasn't the place to, to do it, and they had this big family very, you know, artistic-type people were my parents. I have a brother who's two years younger than me, my brother David Brunetti. He was a child prodigy classical pianist, and he went to Carnegie Mellon, studied piano, and he's a big vocal coach in Manhattan to this day. He's been there many years now. He, he teaches all over the world, all over the country here, and he's, he wrote a book called Acting Songs, they use it as a textbook in a lot of high school and college uh, theater programs. But he has Parkinson's disease, and so he can't really play the piano now. So he has piano players play, but he can still teach. But he, That's one of, one of the things that motivates me. Him and, and my sister Mary, who sang on my album here, she had polio. I'm born in 1952. She's born in 1953, and that's when the polio vaccine came out. So she, you know, we just she just kind of missed it. And uh, she grew up having operations on her one leg. Uh, she had braces up to her knees, braces up to her hip. But And I was always like her protector. We, we have a joke, her and I, she's a year younger than me. And we always said, we didn't need any of the other ones. We were good, just her and me, you know?
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: It's why I try to stay in shape and why I still practice the way I do my instrument and stuff. Because I'm very appreciative and grateful to have a strong body, okay, and I appreciate two good arms and two good legs and being being able to do what I actually do, you know, to be able to still be playing the drums at 69 years old. When I was 11, I went to a, a party. This is how I got into music. Uh, I went to a girlfriend's birthday party and she had a little Victrola, and they put on her. She had a sister who was a few years older than us. Her sister put this single on, 45, and it was Louie Louie, the Kingsman. And the drums on that song are bombastic. And when I heard that, something shot through me like a bolt of lightning, and it was like a spiritual awakening, okay? And I was possessed, and it was like I was electrified. I ran to that record player, and I just kept playing that song over and over again, stood there at that party, and I knew in those moments that this is what you do, you're a drummer, and I had never played an instrument before. I had this brother who played the piano, but I I mean... So anyway, I went home and I asked to have drum lessons, and they told me no, because they thought it was a boys instrument, you know.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, as a female drummer, you'd really stick out.
1: Well, you know, because you grew up back then. I had a little transistor radio. And I would go into the bathroom because a good echo, right? Sure. We had a hamper and I had a a couple hat boxes. Girls had to wear hats to church back then. All right. So we had hat boxes, always girls, right?
0: Now they wear the hats backwards.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's what I would play on, the hamper and the... Hat boxes to my transistor radio. But I started taking guitar lessons. I asked for the next best thing. Can I take guitar lessons? And I said yes. And I did really well with it. And my parents scraped some money together and they bought me a, a, an acoustic guitar, a really nice little Gibson LG1 acoustic. I still have it. I've written all wow. my songs on it. Oh yeah, I wrote. wrote on, I still write all my songs on it.
0: That's worth something.
1: And it sounds great. It's a great little guitar. It, has a, it sounds like a big bodied guitar, but it's smaller body. It's a studio
0: size guitar.
1: Yeah. 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 It's Yeah. It's got that tone. It's old now, you know, that nice wood. <laughs> it served me well, though, you know, things happen for a reason because now that's how I write my music because I can play guitar. And I, I studied bass too in high school. I was a cheerleader and I started taking bass lessons. I quit cheerleading. They thought I was crazy because, you know, when you're a cheerleader, <laughs> you're all that so I could uh, study guitar, my bass guitar. I was missing cheerleading practices to go to bass guitar lessons. I missed this practice and they changed the end of the cheer from like, it was originally, you jumped up in the air and did like, you know, and waved those pom poms above your head. They changed it from that to a split on the floor. And we put, (laughs) so we played our rivals, all right? So here we are in this, it was a basketball game. Two schools of screaming teenagers. The cheerleaders run out on the floor. We do this cheer. I had missed the practice because I went to bass guitar lessons. I'm jumping up in the air and everybody else is on the floor. And I said to myself, you know what? That's it. You You didn't get the memo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm like, you know, when we're old, and I probably thought 30, right? I'll be able to play the bass guitar, but I don't think they're going to be cheering. (laughs) you know? And that's one of the things I knew about music young and it's turned out to be true. You have it your whole life, right? It's a beautiful thing. I mean, Van Clyburn was given concerts in his 90s, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, That's one of the things I love about it.
0: How has your upbringing, maybe your faith background influenced you in writing and performing? Is there any influence there?
1: I try to be honest in my writing and write about experiences and my perspective, it is what it is, not that it's specifically f- faith-based. Right, you know, I understand. Really. Yeah, It's just about, it's more about the person that I am. And I've struggled with um, a higher power, all right, with the God thing throughout my life. Sometimes I believe, sometimes I don't. It's, uh, it's one of those kind of things, you know. Right now I believe because it, I just, there's been too many instances in my life when I've cried out in desperation and things happened you know sure so, I yeah mean, uh,
0: unexplainable but they're there right
1: i mean I'm, I'm lucky to be here really you know sure i guess we can all probably say that but uh i've had my uh, ups and downs like everyone
0: yeah okay mm-hmm. so i tell you what let's get to probably the last song we'll do same old same old blues cool tell, tell us about that song
1: yeah, that was it. same old, same old blues. It re- writing it really took me back to my songwriting chop. That's what I was doing with that same old, same old blues. Like, it's not that any of the ideas in it are anything new, but I wanted to express the essence of, a, of blues music in a song. That's a, it's a halftime shuffle also. It's a harder one, okay? I mean, it's a more rockier one. Most of my musician friends that have heard this song, it's one of their favorite ones because they dig the groove. Okay, why don't? I I love the lyrics. I love the lyrics.
0: Okay, why don't we get to that? Same old, same old blues. That is definitely the same old, same old blues. Good stuff. Good stuff. Now, is that your son playing guitar in that also?
1: No, that's my husband.
0: Your husband?
1: Yeah, these boys have a thing with this wall pedal, don't they? <laughs> they, may, they can make it work. My, my husband worked in when we were in New York City back in the day. He he worked uh, he worked for Steinberger guitars. You know the headless basses, the strange. Yep. He worked for Ned Steinberger. And he worked for Electroharmonics. Oh, okay. With, you know, yeah, and he worked he worked for them a couple of times with Mike Matthews there.
0: I haven't heard too much of that gritty wah-wah stuff in right. a lot of the music I've been listening to. So we're getting kind of close to the end here. Let me ask you a couple of simple questions here that uh, uh, I used to ask everybody, but not so much. But it seems appropriate now. So okay. is there anything you would do differently if you could go back and start over regarding your music career?
1: Maybe I wouldn't have quit. Yeah, I might have stayed in it because I, I had that bit. Knowing what I know now, you know, I mean, I had I had a great band.
0: Well, Teddy, you have had a remarkable career up to now, and I can see it's, in, in some cases, it's taking off again. I mean, number 82 on the independent indie charts, globally is pretty amazing at any age. Yeah. Uh, oh, so yeah. you've put together something that's very impressive. You got a fascinating story. I just want to thank you for taking the time to be with us. Thank you very much.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. And, you know, this opportunity is, uh, this is great. This is great. I, I mean, and if I if I hadn't gotten back into the music business again, if I hadn't have done this album, I wouldn't meet. Cool people like you, Tim. You know?
0: so, <laughs> We're keeping yeah. that in the mix, by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I thank you for the opportunity.
0: And that concludes our interview with Teddy. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did in bringing it to you. We have all our contact information in the show notes, so be sure to check them out. And don't hesitate to spinner up on Spotify and enjoy all the other songs that we didn't have a chance to get to. So for Local Open Mic, I'm your host Tim Heath. Remember, get up on the stage, step up to the microphone, the world is listening.